Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 32. We're going to look at what David has to say here tonight about the blessing of forgiveness. So I invite you to turn there with me, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time over the next few minutes as we consider these things. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open it now and to study it together. We ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight, that you would show us what it truly means to be forgiven of our sins, and help us to reflect on those things as we gather around your table tonight to remember your death and burial and resurrection and the new life you have given to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we approach this topic tonight, we ask that you would right now already begin to work away in our hearts at sin we may be harboring or we have just taken a stand against yielding to you in and would you point that out in our lives and would you help us to be willing to submit to you to make those things right that we can enjoy uh, fellowship with you Lord, if there's one here tonight who um, does not know you as savior would you continue to work away in their heart to show them that jesus christ is the answer to everything in their lives we ask that everything that's said and done would honor and glorify you in your name we pray amen have you ever found satisfaction in fixing something that is broken? I do. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people say to me here at the church, don't ask me to fix anything, but I'll help you with anything else, okay? And that's, that's all right, right? But even in that, sometimes those people want to be helping, be instrumental in fixing what? Relationships and other things like that. I, I just, I personally love the opportunity, um, maybe not always in the moment, but I love the opportunity to put a new part on the car, you know, and it's always great when it works the way it's supposed to afterwards. You don't have pieces left over. Um, Maybe you repair something around your house. Or if you've been in my office, you know this is true, you know, to construct some intricate model out of these tiny little Lego bricks that, that, you know, they take shape into something. There's just something about fixing something that's broken or constructing something beautiful out of small pieces that it can give you a real sense of, of satisfaction. But nothing can compare to the joy and the relief that one finds in the forgiveness of God. What once was broken can be restored in him. What lay in pieces can be made whole by his almighty hand. And here in Psalm 32 tonight, we see uh, that this is a psalm of David. It's It's a contemplation. And David muses on this tonight in our psalm, and he tells us of the blessing of forgiveness. There's uh, six of these psalms that are written throughout the the book of Psalms that that are forgiveness psalms or or penitential psalms. Um, And a lot of times people try to connect these together. Some think that, you know, Psalm 51 is the one most of us know, but there's nothing that says that any of these are connected, that they may have come from different times in David's life. And I think we would resonate with that because if you've experienced a a breaking of your fellowship and relationship with God, you understand it doesn't just happen one time. You know, it's, we, we still have a sin problem and we still need the, the forgiveness that the, to restore a right relationship, an open relationship with God. Not that it affects our eternity, but it affects our, our, our interaction with him. And what we see here is that because God is the author of forgiveness, I must deal with sin properly to enjoy a beneficial relationship with him. Forgiveness of sin begins 
and ends with God, the one whom we sin against. And so because God is the author of that forgiveness of our sins, we have to deal with sin. I I put on here properly. Well, how do we deal with sin properly? We deal with the way God tells us to deal with it. we, We all have our own ideas of how we deal with sin. And sometimes those come out in our lives. And we'll talk about that as we go through the psalm tonight. But the only way to enjoy that relationship with him that, that benefits us in the highest possible spiritual way is to deal with these things the way God says to. So just two quick things tonight as we go through this psalm. And the first one is found in the first five verses where David tells us of the blessing of properly dealing with sin. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my, bold, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned to the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. And so what we see, what David tells us first, uh, under this idea of the blessing of properly dealing with sin, is that there is, the, there is freedom found in forgiveness of sin by God. David begins his psalm here in verse 1, really with a doctrinal declaration on the blessedness of forgiveness. He uses that word from the very beginning, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And, and you've, you've, hopefully if you've read through the scriptures, you've run into this word before. It comes up, uh, oftentimes we think in Psalm 1, right, blessed is the man, right, or most famously, this word, now it's in the, in the Greek, but it's, you know, it has a lot of the same characteristics of this word, is, is in the Beatitudes, right, in, in Matthew chapter 5. And this word, blessed, really means happy. And what we find is that there's no true happiness or, or joy that are found outside of a right relationship with God. That is what truly brings us happiness and joy in our lives. We look for it in many different places, but it comes from being in a right standing with our Creator. And here, David gives us the truest picture of forgiveness in these first two verses. Let's, let's kind of work our way through these verses for a minute. Because having one's sins forgiven by God is not just, you know, this, oh, that's great. It's an all-encompassing experience in our lives. David says, first of all, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. David's going to use several words here to talk about sin. The first one is this idea of transgression. Transgression literally carries the idea of crossing over a line. That here is what God says is is to be true or not to be done, and we transgress, we go over that by our sin. Whether we do something he told us not to do, we don't do something we were supposed to do, is rebellion against God and his law. And what does David say? He says that that is forgiven by God when we come to him. The word forgiven literally means a lifting or a removing. So in forgiveness, what is it that God does? He removes, he lifts that transgression from our record, from our account and takes it off of us. But it doesn't stop there. Because then he continues on. He says at the end of verse 1, whose sin 
is covered. The word sin here is yet another word for wrongdoing, and and this idea of sin is missing the mark. God has set a standard, the standard of holiness of himself, and this idea of sin means to come short of that goal. In our sin, we fail to live up to the holiness of God. This may hearken your mind back to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's standard cannot be met by sinful man. And when God forgives and removes our sin, right? Forgiveness is a lifting, a removal from that account. He then covers that sin so it is no longer associated with us. That's what David says here. He says, whose sin is covered. Now, there is a covering for sin. There is a a cover-up, really, of sin that man sometimes seeks to engage him. That man tries to hide his sin from God. And that will not be met well. That will not be met with God's approval. It's actually met with God's resistance. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So there's a difference here. There's a difference between when you and I try to cover up our sin, and there's a difference when God covers it in his forgiveness. When God covers sin, he does so because it has been forgiven and it's been dealt with. When you and I try to cover our sin, like I said, it's, it's really we're trying to cover it up and, and just hope God doesn't notice it and hope it won't affect us, but it always does. And, and anything we try to do is met with, with God's judgment while God in his mercy covers it that it may be remembered no more. And that's a a key aspect in forgiveness, that God chooses to remember our sin no more. I said it before, and I'll say it again. This whole idea of forgive and forget, and you can't forgive someone until you forget it, is there's a great Hebrew word for that, is baloney, right? Because, let's be honest, does God forget anything? No. But what does he do? He chooses to remember it no more. He chooses to not hold it on our account. And we, in our own lives, could take a great page here, a great, a great um, example from God when we are called to extend forgiveness towards other people. When we know we should forgive someone, but in our mind we bring it up over and over. And so maybe we don't say it to them, right? Maybe we don't say, well, do you remember that time? But in our brain, there it is, right? When we've even, and even when we have uttered the words, yes, I forgive you, God doesn't go back on his promise of forgiveness. He covers our sin and removes it from our record, and it does not enter into our account again. God also then changes the account of a forgiven one and does not credit him with iniquity. It says in verse 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute Iniquity, that word impute is that idea of accrediting something to your account. Iniquity, another word that's often used for sin in the scriptures. Iniquity means twisted. Have you ever realized that sin corrupts everything it touches? Have you looked around and seen the things and you, and you kind of shake your head and you think, man, that was something so good that God created and man has just taken it and twisted it to their own ends. Because that's what sin does. It has ruined man, 
It has mercilessly attacked God's creation. And God's forgiveness instead takes my sin, that iniquity, off of my account. And what does he give us instead? He instead gives us his righteousness instead of our sinfulness. As Paul would later write of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God's righteousness and God's forgiveness changes my account forever. These things are no longer on my record. And so what is a, who is a truly blessed, happy, joyous person? He is a forgiven person. And in that person, at the end of verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When you and I seek God's forgiveness in our lives, that takes honesty. The Bible tells us, the scriptures tell us, that God is the God of truth. And so when we deal with God, we have to deal with him in truth. And God deals with you in truth. Through his word... He tells you exactly what your problem is, and he does so in love. And he doesn't just tell you what your problem is, he tells you how to deal with it, how to make it right, how to live for him. And so when it comes to seeking forgiveness for our sins, we must agree with him about the awfulness of our sin if we are to enjoy a relationship with him. But failure to deal with sin, the way that God says we need to deal with it, will result in God's conviction on our lives And David describes this over the next couple verses. He describes what is a very uncomfortable yet merciful process that God brings about in our lives. This is the discomfort of conviction we find here in verses 3 and 4. When faced with a conviction of sin, of God for our sin, we can respond in one of two ways. When God convicts you of sin in your life, when God shows you something you've done wrong, you have a choice. You either confess that sin to God and seek to make it right and seek his forgiveness or you continue on in that sin like like nothing ever changed. But God in his mercy, if you choose to do that, will not leave us alone. If, If you are a child of God, God continues his convicting work in your life. And and really, if I can use an old King James word, he discomforts us. In that, we see that here in the life of David. I mean, listen to what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, that is, he did not confess his sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. We see here as David kept silent about his sin before God and he refused to confess it he began to feel the effects of God's chastening on his life. It was as if his bones had grown old. It was as if he had lost all of his strength and vitality, and the hand of God felt very heavy on David's heart. He realized that conviction over sin can and and does have even physical effects on our own life. And when God is working on us and showing us what we have done wrong, we will only make ourselves miserable if we refuse to make things right with him. And you know, you can put the biggest show on the outside you want, but God knows your heart. And God knows what you really like, and God knows if we're dealing with things the way we need to deal with them or not. 
What does God call for instead? He calls for our surrender to him. He wants us to return to him. The prayer of David here in, in Psalm 32, or the, in the song of this about, about David's um, experience here, and God convicted him of his sin, is the prayer of a child of God. David was one who was called a man after God's own heart. He was one who walked with the Lord, who believed in the Lord, who trusted in the Lord. And, and we see here, in sin, he is under the chastisement of God for his sin. And there is a great difference between chastisement and judgment. Judgment is final. Judgment is, is consequences, you know, more than just consequences for your sin. It's, it's an act of this is what's going to happen to you. God does not judge his followers. He chastises them. Now, does that mean there, there are no consequences for the sins of the follower of God? Well, no, obviously not. There are consequences for sin. I mean, we, if you've raised kids, there are consequences for, for wrongdoing in your own home. It doesn't mean you judge them and throw them in jail somewhere, right? Maybe you wish you could. I don't know, all right? But God, in his love and his mercy, chastises his own disciplines. What's the goal? in order to seek to bring them back to himself. God mercifully shows his own their need to get right with him again. And here we see that that conviction in verse 5 has its intended effect on David. And we see here the proper response to convicted sin in the life of David. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So what did David do? Well, he acknowledged his sin before God. And, and let me just tell you, that's true confession. We talk about this idea of confessing sin. You know what confession is? Confession isn't what Catholics do. right? They go, and they, they go to a booth and, and these sorts of things. I don't know a whole lot about Catholic Church, but they go to this booth and they they, they talk to their priest, right? Their father, what, you know, their spiritual leader. Con- that's not confession. Confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says to God. And to anyone else that may be involved in that immediate vicinity of, of that sin. Because sometimes our sin involves our, our sin against someone else. Confession is saying, this is wrong. And displeasing to the Lord. Confession is bringing sin out into the light and not hiding it away. God knows what we're trying to hide anyway. He wants us to say the same thing about it that He says. But the only way to be right with God is not to come to God on our own terms, the only way to be right with God is to agree with God. And say, this is what you've said, this is wrong, this is what needs to happen. And then we do it. And when this happens, we can experience God's true forgiveness on our lives. So so this is the only proper way to deal with sin. And we find that if we deal with sin properly, there's there's great blessing in our lives for that. We just realize we cannot cover sin. We cannot hope to just ignore it until the problem goes away. Like, maybe if we just don't say anything, it'll just be okay. No, we, it must be dealt with. It must be brought onto the open and confessed before God. Because only then can our relationship with God be opened fully 
and completely. Have you ever found that if you refuse to deal with sin, it never gets better? You know, it's like the splinter that you get in your foot when you're out playing. Those are the worst, man. Let me tell you something. The worst is if if your mom's a nurse and she owns like these needles in her house, right? And you're like, oh, here, let me dig that out for you. No, that's, that's okay. But why, why does your mom say that to you? Why does your mom say, Let, because what's going to happen if you don't? It's going gonna, it's gonna to fester, right? It's going to get worse. And, and it's going to grow. And it's going it, to turn into infection. If we don't deal with sin in our lives, it's the same way. It's going to grow. It's going to start affecting other people in our sphere. It's going to affect other parts of our lives. And God is hammering away, hammering away, and hammering away. Some of the most bitter people you will run into in this life, whether it's in, people who claim to follow God or not, are people who know what they're doing is wrong, but they won't do anything about it. And they think they're okay. Only then, when we bring sin out and deal with it, can our relationship with God be open and fully, more fully and completely Only then can we enjoy true fellowship with God. So, how do we respond to God with our sin? We see this in the application of the principle in the rest of the psalm. In verses 6 through 11, we see the blessing of a relationship with God. And what do we see that comes out of the blessing of a relationship with God? Because the only way to have a relationship with God is to confess our sins to him. And the only way to enjoy an unbroken fellowship with him is to continue to confess our sins and make these things right. What we see is that when we do so, there is deliverance from our sin. Look at verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. When we run to God and we seek forgiveness from sin, we will find deliverance from that sin in him. Do you know what sin brings? Sin brings chaos and calamity into our lives. Because sin is against God who is a God of order. And sin attacks all that is good. God's chastisement brings unsettledness to our, to our lives. And running to God for forgiveness and confession brings peace. We need to ask God, God, will you help me to see sin the same way you see sin? Because if we truly saw sin the way God did, we wouldn't tolerate it in our lives any longer than we had to, right? And then don't walk out of here saying, well, the pastor said if we see sin the right way, we're going to be perfect, okay? But if we really saw sin the way God sees sin, we would do more things about it when we, when we saw it. And that, when we view sin as chaotic and hurtful to our relationship with God and others, that shows us we are in a right relationship with him, thinking rightly of sin. You know, sometimes I have discussions and conversations with people throughout life, and, 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 and even as we wrestle through things of sin, Sometimes, you know, people say, well, I know it's wrong, you know, but I think, well, maybe I'll just, you know, but, but I kind of like it. I kind of enjoy it. And that's not a right view of sin, right? 
Now, it's not to say that sin isn't attractive, but if we, after the fact, say, well, I mean, it was, it's kind of just for fun, or it's kind of this, we still don't grasp what sin really is. Because sin is believing a lie about God. It is believing that he does not care, that he is not present, or that he will not judge. Take your pick. And when we see the awfulness that sin actually brings, we will cry out to God. Look what David says. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall what? Pray to you. David doesn't say, for this cause, every person who is godly will never ever sin again, will always be perfect. That's an encouragement, right? No, David says, everyone who is godly will have a proper view of sin and will deal properly with their sin. If you still think sin is fun, it's not a big deal and worth your time, my friend, I'm going to tell you what the scriptures tell you. You are not a godly person. Because godliness is seeing sin the way God sees it. And a Christian buried in sin is not thinking in a godly manner. One who does not know Christ is far from godly and under condemnation. But in forgiveness, you can find shelter and deliverance and security in the one who brought so much discomfort in the face of sin. I mean, look what David says in verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This is the same God, by the way, he was just talking about a couple of verses earlier, who did all these things to convict him of his sin. Now David finds his solace in God. God wants us to experience the hardships of conviction that we may enjoy the pleasure of his presence. And to those who will get right with God, God offers his true help. When we talk about the blessing of a relationship with God, we see that there is deliverance from sin in him. And secondly, there is guidance in our lives here in verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you. So now that the psalm shifts, it's no longer David talking, but it is God talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. To the one, to the soul who confesses his sin and experiences God's forgiveness, he will find that God will guide him in his life. God says that his eye is on his own, that he does not leave them to wonder and to wander. The one who is right with God enjoys a relationship with God. The one who is not right with God has no such relationship with him. What does God compare one who does not have a relationship with him or is out of fellowship with him? What does he compare him to in verse 9? He compares him to a horse or a mule. An animal that must be bridled and made to do the bidding of another person. God wants to lovingly instruct and teach us his ways in tenderness and closeness. That's what God wants to do. That's what God offers to you if you will come to him and seek his forgiveness. But make no mistake, God can and does bring about lessons the hard way just as fine. If you refuse to come to God in salvation, your life will be difficult. Solomon writes in Proverbs that the way of the transgressor, the way of the transgressor is hard. 
Because God, as James writes in his epistle, God resists the proud. He, he is actively opposed to those who hold on to their sin. And so if you do not have a personal relationship with him, if you have not found salvation in Jesus Christ, you will find your life to be difficult. Because you can't struggle with God and win. If you are a Christian... It will not surrender your will to his. You will experience his chastisement and hand against you in your own life as well. How much better and sweeter it is to humbly submit ourselves to him. Because in forgiveness, there's true joy. And that's what David says here at the end of the psalm. He says there is joy in God. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The wicked, those who will not come to God, those who will go their own way, will not find anything but sorrow in their lives. They will find no fulfillment, they'll find no peace. Because sin brings about destruction and turmoil in this life. And in the end, those who do not turn to the Lord, what will they ultimately find? Nothing but judgment for their sin. Those who belong to God but refuse to live for Him and walk with Him will be ashamed as they stand before Him one day. They too will live unfulfilled and even hard lives on this earth. But, David says in verse 10, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. To those who trust in God, confessing their sin and finding his forgiveness, they will find the mercy of God poured out on their lives. What is mercy? God not giving us what we deserve. God is a God of mercy. He has promised to forgive those who ask him. So therefore, those who have sought God's forgiveness are considered righteous in God. When David says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those who are right with God, who have found a relationship with him and who live in a way and, conf- and live in a way that honors him and pleases him and, and they seek to, to stay right with him and when they sin and they go astray they come back to him and confess their sins. Are they perfect? No. But God considers them what? Righteous and upright. Not because of their own works, but because of who God is. This uprightness is not our doing but God's. So thus, it is truly our state and truly gives us peace with God and gives us peace in God. And that is something to shout about. That is something to to say, hey, there's true joy found in true forgiveness from our sin in our true God. And so we see that because God is the author of forgiveness, I must deal with sin properly to enjoy a beneficial relationship with him. There are many things that you and I can look to in this life for some sort of satisfaction. But the only thing that will bring us lasting satisfaction and joy is this, that our sins are forgiven by God and our relationship is right with him. So very simply, 
Can you say that of yourself? Can you say that you have a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ? Have you settled the question of your eternity? You cannot skate into heaven on someone else's merit or with some thought that, well, when it gets to the end, I'll be good enough. You need the finished work of Christ that we are about to remember tonight at the Lord's table. And as we prepare to approach this table tonight, I want us, we've considered the words of David, but let us consider the words of Paul. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, writing here to the church in Corinth, has some very strong words here. He warns, warns the Corinthians and us of the consequences of approaching the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Christian, if you're here tonight and there's a sin in your life that God has been trying to move you to deal with and you haven't done it, I I caution you as we approach the Lord's Supper tonight. Do not take these things lightly. You cannot continue on in your sin and think that you're okay with God. Yes, your eternity is settled, but you don't have a true and right fellowship with him. And God speaks to you and to me through these passages tonight that we need to make sure we've dealt with these things. He wants you to be right with him. Committing sin is still going to happen on this side of eternity in the life of even the greatest of Christians. What we do with that sin is what's important. Will we just let it sit, hoping it goes away? Will we defiantly hold on to that sin in pride and we argue with God and ourselves and others that we know better than him? But we must realize we cannot enjoy true intimacy with God with unconfessed sin. So as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper tonight, I would like us to take time to reflect on God's great forgiveness in our lives. There is nothing you've done or anything you're doing or anything you will do that God cannot and will not forgive if we truly confess and repent of our sin. So let us take time to reflect on these things tonight, thanking him for his wonderful forgiveness and asking him to point out any sin in our lives that we have not dealt with. And I implore you that if there is something between you and God tonight, that you make it right. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can begin one tonight. If God has shown you a sin that involves another person Listen, you can get up in just a minute while we're praying. You can go make that right with them right now and speak to them. Or, you know, maybe you resolve in your heart to do so as soon as is humanly possible and take care of that at the end of tonight or whenever the next opportunity is you have to do that. 
But I would caution you to take care not to presume on the mercy of God. So let us thank God for his forgiveness and let us prepare our hearts to proclaim the gospel through this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So Carrie's going to come and she's going to play through a couple stanzas of a hymn and we're going to have a time uh, of reflection as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper tonight.